Bob Stoops ruined my childhood. It's the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. If you listen to this OU Compliance, I don't endorse that last message. With Brady Trantham and Keegan Renault. Mike Stoops should be put on trial for war crimes. all the inside information that you know keegan why are you smiling at me <laughs> we'll have to tune in later well, in the well, podcast fine, yeah fine. yeah is that, is that that's a that's a tease right yeah it's a dick tease <laughs> which i'm not going to edit that out because editing out stuff is it's fun but it's also boring but hey everybody welcome to the inside ou podcast brady trantham here alongside soonerswire.com extraordinaire powered by usa today sports powered by god keegan renault welcome to my apartment Welcome to your own show. Yes, it is a. We got to uh, talk a little bit of football today. A little gear still heading in that direction. Thank goodness, as it we are now twenty fifth, seven days, about nineteen days away from the season. Eighteen, nineteen days away. It's a. It's a good thing, I think. Yes, it, it, it most certainly is. Uh, football is. I guess it's in the air. Uh, it's a little weird with basketball on downstairs on on my TV with the Jazz and the Nuggets playing game six or whatever, game five. I don't know. I can't count. Um, at the same time, Keegan, it just I, – I guess I, I get I, – I put this on Twitter in regards to OU shutting down tailgating. I guess that's how we'll open up the show is like, oh, everyone's pissed off that they can't tailgate on campus. Well, just like a few people that are – you know, that follow OU football, you know, very closely – uh, pointed out on Twitter as well, David Boren murdered tailgating on campus a long time ago. Um, I tailgate on campus still. I tailgate with my uh, friends and family over off of uh, oh, Brooks and oh, what's that other side street called? Jenkins. It's not Jenkins. It's no. uh, Brooks and it's just a tiny little side street next to the uh, big east side parking duck, lot. Duck J- Pond lot, right? It's uh, It's north of the Duck Pond. You've been there, but it's right. Not, yeah. yeah, it's in that parking lot that's across from where the yeah. uh, new Callaway House. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's a little bit, n- it's a little bit uh, north of the. It's a stone's throw away from the uh, what's it called Rugby House. Mm-hmm. So that's where I tailgate with my friends and family. Um, inside OU listeners, feel free to show up and just say, "Hey, I listen to the podcast," because I'll probably give you a beer. But unfortunately, we're gonna have to wait until next year at the Unless earliest. Unless you have an RV, that. what's Did up? You see that? If you have an RV, they still are allowing. Come on in, rich people. Give us your money. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I don't. I don't get that. Like, is they is because it, I think they have to pay a lot of money to park their RVs, uh, like either at the Lloyd Noble or on camp. Like those are to park on the east side parking lot in that private donor section. Like you have to donate a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, Lloyd but, Noble RV uh, is still on as well. Yes, which is, I mean. None of this really makes sense. Like, the NBA and their COVID bubble protocols are silly, but they make sense. Mm-hmm. College football is just so up and down and so topsy-turvy that nothing really – it's like, if you're going to do that, then why aren't you doing this? Mm-hmm. If these schools are going to play Big Ten Pac-12, what the f*** are you doing? Like, it's a bummer that you, we can't tailgate on campus, but I kind of gave up tailgating dreams way back, like right. back in March and April. And I think with that – it kind of took away me even looking forward to football season because around this time, especially this time of year in any other normal year, I am like, like basketball has been over for a few months. Free agency has been over for about a month. 
there's been nothing on except baseball, and I know that excites you and your pantaloons, Keegan. But um, for me, it's just like, all right, it's football season. I'm getting ready for it. We're right. all talking about tailgating protocols. And it, like I said, we're three weeks away. It just doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't. And it doesn't feel like it because, you know, not every question to Lincoln Riley is a football question. Now, it do, I'm not saying that it needs to be. I'm not saying that it should. But the fact of the matter is, is usually we're hearing about a starting quarterback this time around. We're hearing about players that are standing out. We're hearing about this. And whenever you hear from people inside the program that a significant amount of people have been missing, last, especially last week. Significant amount of people, which is interesting, Keegan, because... COVID and injuries, from what I understand. Yes. Uh, OU already has confirmed injuries with Caleb Kelly... Um, Jaden Hazel, was that confirmed? Even though he's been kind of saying that today, today Lincoln finally talked on Jaden Hazel for the first time. Basically, said he's not practicing, but he's around the team. Okay, so but it's interesting because when you say a significant amount of players, I think what we've heard confirmed, whether it be from testing or injury. Okay, yeah, there's been a number of players miss, but a significant amount. I mean, what 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 exactly? How would you characterize that? I think. Just of, you know, you heard Lincoln Riley today mention that a whole position group, it sounds like from one positive COVID test and then contact tracing, um, you know, one position group has was kind of decimated. But just from talking to people and you hear things, um, it is, I think, significant amount. I, I wouldn't say 50% last week, but it's clear that Oklahoma has not had a full – starting lineup on either side of the ball since they put pads on. So that part of it makes things very interesting. And I, you kind of wish that you had a game tougher than Missouri state week one to kind of get you ready for the season, especially when you consider the fact that a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, chemistry amongst this group right now because of COVID because of injuries. Um, you know, one to specifically mention is is Jalen Redmond. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of talk out there right now about maybe his situation in Oklahoma for the season, but nothing, um, you know, can't confirm any of that. There's nothing official been made from Oklahoma's side on it. But, you know, this is a guy that's been sidelined again. And this is coming from a, you know, blood clot issue two years ago. Um, obviously makes him more susceptible to symptoms from COVID-19. Um, but you know, whenever it gets all said and done that this is a group that the chemistry just, I think you talk about leading up to a season and that just what is weird. Cause you, it's hard to ask Lincoln about specific players and specific plays and position groups and how these guys are looking and how those guys are looking, because I mean, he could give you an answer, but do we know that that guy's even out there? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, it, it's interesting. And w- what really like, what really gets on my nerves, because I've even been kind of susceptible to this, I was actually talking to my dad on the phone before you showed up, Keegan, and I was telling him about, like, yeah, Lincoln apparently said that an entire position group um, was has been out with pre- from practice uh, because they tested positive for COVID-19. And, you know, everyone, they're young. They're in good shape. So they've since returned. So asymptomatic or they just didn't get sick. 
And it's just like, well, the good thing is they don't have to be tested. Whatever position group that was, they don't have to be tested for three months according to the NCAA rules. Mm -hmm. And I just hate that my fan brain turns on when we're talking about something as serious as COVID-19 and how it affects players in the short term mm -hmm. and especially long term because we don't know we don't know the answer to that. But the fact of the matter is, is these players want to play football. Um, they've decided to do that. Some players um, all across the country have decided to opt out. We'll get into um, Kennedy Brooks a little bit later, and then you even kind of touched on uh, another player that could potentially, due to some mm -hmm. some rumors out there swimming around on the Twitter sphere. But um, I hate that my brain goes there. But I will say, jokingly, if only this happened in 2008, because if you had a bunch of you know backups playing that's that off season because all the starters are sick for a few weeks. Well, maybe Brandon Crow doesn't get torched by uh, Jordan Shipley in the Red River <laughs> Shootout. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you can look at it in one of one of many different ways. Right. Lincoln is now forced to like really develop some depth. Depth at like second stringers, third stringers that would have no no chance in hell getting first team reps for a week or two are getting them. That's not going to help OU win any games. But with what Alex Grinch is wanting to do, especially on the defensive side of the ball, develop some talent, maybe tweak some talent that we're not really thinking highly of right now, but Hey, maybe Alex French sees something in somebody cause they get the opportunity when the lights are on, they actually show up. That's all the optimistic way to look at this, but you know, a significant amount of players missing practice. Yes. You want to see a, a better opponent than Missouri state at the same time. I'm like, thank God it's Missouri state and they're not right. opening up against freaking Kansas state. Yeah. And, and the biggest takeaway from today though, and I wish it was the lead story, which, but it kind of isn't, um, you know, just in our current times that eight or nine guys have returned after they announced yesterday that they had, um, you know, 17 active cases of COVID-19. So, you know, it's one of those things that there is a lot of positive momentum that Oklahoma is, this thing is under control, only having one positive test in the second round of testing last week um, on the football player side of things. So, you know, it's, like you said, there is benefits to this, though, in, in terms of having to develop that depth, in terms of guys that, you know, especially younger guys like a Joshua Eaton and, um, you know, Marvin Mims and uh, Seth McGowan that we've seen um, videos from early in camp from Oklahoma's football account on Twitter. Uh, you know, it's there's a lot of benefits that can come from guys sitting out and guys that aren't able to go through fall camp, um, COVID or injuries or whatever, but, you know, when it's all said and done, you got Kansas State week one, which is one of the more more assignment, more disciplined, sound teams in college football because of Chris Kleiman and his background as a head coach. And, you know, you need that chemistry. You need guys to be able to be on the same page from snap one until the final, you know, whistle's blown. And Oklahoma's kind of in a position to where you're not going to get that really until – this whole COVID, the 17, so they've got eight or nine active cases left until that's done and wrapped up. And, heck, next week is when they start game prep for Missouri State. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I think there's there's benefits. But, you know, for me, I, I just think that there's a lot more negatives, especially heading into a three-game stretch to start the season in Big 12 play with Kansas State at Iowa State and Texas. Yeah, and now let's get, kind of get into Kansas State with the understanding that OU is at relative full strength. As it, as it stands right now. And that, that includes, like, a Ronnie Perkins. He's going to be out no matter what because of suspension, more mm -hmm. than likely. Because um, I wanted to touch on Jalen Redman. It doesn't matter. Joey f***ing Halls, he can play quarterback against Missouri State. Oh, he's going to win by 50 points. So that doesn't concern me. And then they have the bye week afterwards to prepare for Kansas State and for players to either – 
come back from some injuries, maybe quarantine for all we know. But let's say that they have their defensive line, their front seven, all at full strength. They're not going to have Ronnie Perkins already, and there are rumors uh, swirling around uh, potentially Jalen Redman deciding to opt out, which that was when this all was kind of starting and the word, the, like the phrase opt out was kind of tossed around that players could do this. Mm-hmm. My brain immediately yeah. went to Jalen Redmond. Yeah, because they went to Jalen Redmond and then running backs. So I understand Jalen Redmond if he decides to do that. If he does, oh my God, OU's defensive line for their second game, first conference game against Kansas State. Like, I guess it's kind of good that maybe a good amount of players on the defensive line may have been out for a week or two because oh he's going to need that depth if they're not going to have for sure Ronnie Perkins and especially if they potentially don't have Jalen Redmond absolutely and I I just want to say that you know again nothing you know even from my end um, is confirmed in that in that regard yeah you know this is a situation that I think is still extremely fluid and we'll see you know kind of you know if he makes an announcement like Lincoln said today about players opting out or if, you know, he's just not out there for game one or game two, and, and if he's on the sidelines, then that means he's nursing a shoulder injury. Um, but, you know, to what you said, though, I actually – I don't even think even losing him – you know, losing Caleb Kelly, I think, remains still the biggest thing just from a depth perspective. Experience. Yeah, yeah and you look at that position that Jalen Redman plays, you've got a healthy Corey Roberson this year who has shown flashes of a guy that could be an impact player on Oklahoma's defensive line. So you have at least two guys there in LaRon Stokes and Corey Roberson that can be serviceable and, and make impacts at a position along the defensive line that isn't a huge impactful position, more of a, a you know, they need a guy that's disciplined that can make sure that he holds his running gaps, make sure he, uh, you know, not as over running things um, along the defensive line, especially, uh, you know, when you're playing at Kansas State or you're playing at, you know, a Texas that, you know, a lot of zone running. So it's one of those things that I don't think losing him is as big of a deal. But Jalen Redmond, though, you know, the guy with the, he had the most sacks of, of Oklahoma last year on defensive line. He's a guy, though, that that position is elevated whenever he's on the field. Yeah. And I think that's what's going to hurt Oklahoma. But just in terms of the overall impact of losing, potentially maybe losing him, I don't think it's as – big of a deal as it would be a you know a Perry on Winfrey or if Ronnie Perkins sat out the whole year um you know if those two things happened I think that would just decimate any plans that Alex Grinch has along the defensive line and you know losing Jalen Redmond I don't think uh, is it's a it would be a huge deal but I don't think it would be a you know season defining season changing issue for Oklahoma just because I think the I think Corey Roberson's got a chance to be a really really good player uh, when it's all said and done for Oklahoma. Yeah, and, and I'm look, OU's better than Kansas State. They were better than them last year, but it didn't really matter. But I think my thing is when you're breaking in new guys, you're already going to have some injuries. You're already going to have some players out because they're sick, and you're going to have a key suspension. It's just the second game of the year. Because yeah, typically even with bad OU defenses, they usually find guys to make consistent plays, and some guys take some leaps. But that's usually by, you know, at the earliest after Texas. And this is OU's first real game of the year against Kansas State, and that's my concern. But, um, yeah, again, Jalen Redman, it's it's not – nothing has even really been said. It's just kind of been whispered pretty much amongst mm-hmm. OU fans. But, again, I don't think it would shock anybody. And I guess that we can segue into kind of quick 
the weird thing from Lincoln Riley's presser, uh, Kennedy Brooks, you know, we talked about this on this podcast already, um, the day that he, um, or the day after that he decided to opt out, according to reports, I think Jason Kersey of The Athletic was the first one to mm-hmm. uh, break the that news. One. The only one to break that news. Hasn't been confirmed either from Kennedy Brooks, hasn't been confirmed from anybody else. And then Lincoln Riley today, Keegan, you were talking, you guys were talking to him. He was just like, no comment? Like, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. And it's weird. Even they, I mean, he's not on the online roster either. Yeah. So something's happened, obviously. Um, he's clearly decided not to play this season, but Oklahoma nor Kennedy have decided to make a comment on it. And I wonder why, because I don't think it would affect Kennedy Brooks's draft status uh, potential as a prospect if he decided to opt out. Heck, I think that may help him. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if getting more carries on his body is something that would benefit him leading up to an NFL draft. Now, help, having him to help you win, potentially win a national championship, absolutely. But, yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Uh, the fact that Lincoln basically was like, yeah, no, these – they if they want to opt out they're, and they want people to know, they can they can let it, know, let it be known themselves. We're just going to focus on the people we have in this locker room. I thought – I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of an aggressive approach – from a guy that typically has very conservative approaches to how he attacks things with the team and the media. So we'll see if, you know, any guys decide to make their announcement about opting out, but it's, it was, it was definitely weird to hear him. Then the tone in which he said it and the, and and then the, you know, the words that he said just in regards to it, um, you know, it's, it's different. It it was a different, you know, perspective. And I was going to say this earlier, he has looked either str- Lincoln has stressed out or depressed or I don't know <laughs> what word to say it, but the last two Zoom calls have been, you know, not his typical self. Yeah, I mean, half his f***ing team probably hasn't been able to practice, at least consistently. Yeah. So I'd imagine just from a football standpoint, on top of the fact that he has to worry about, like, these players as human beings as well. Like, he, he needs them to be at full strength. He in order to have the put the best team out there because this is his job he's also a human being and probably doesn't want to put his players at risk but the way that college football has decided to lord itself this season with the pandemic it's behooving Lincoln Riley to do so going against probably his human emotion of hey we need to look after these players like that's the important thing but if we have to play then we have to play so I'd imagine he's real freaked out about this or just stressed out or God knows what, but I mean, with Kennedy Brooks and him basically kind of shying away from the answer. When I saw that King, like it just gave me the impression that are they still trying to actively convince him to not opt out? Because that's the, the only reason why you wouldn't talk about something like this is because it's still an ongoing thing. It's just like, we can't talk about a suspension because we're appealing. So we can't talk about it. Mm Mm-hmm. No, yeah, a yes and no. I, I think Kennedy understands, and like I said a second ago, that there's really wasn't a ton to gain in terms of his NFL prospectus for this upcoming year, and there just wasn't. And I think that coincided with maybe probably not being in the best of shape as he could be. You know, we heard that last year whenever he was away from the team and came back and needed a couple games to really get into form. And, and so – you know, leading up to that, seeing what happened with Rodney Anderson and his draft status probably didn't help either Oklahoma's cause in, in that regard. But, yeah, I think that there's probably some truth to the fact that, 
maybe that Oklahoma is trying everything they can to maybe bring him back, but I don't know. I feel like removing him from the online roster is like deleting all your pictures from Instagram of your girlfriend, and that is usually typically a sign that you guys that relationship's over. Where where are the fans who check all the uh, enrollment class attendance lists? You know what I mean? Like, oh, so and so is on campus now. He's enrolled in class. I would assume <laughs> that he would still be taking classes, but really, I mean, yeah, if he's not graduated, I mean, it's free. I mean, how many how many players just forego like a bowl game or you know they just forego all whatever? Is, all he has to do is work out and take online classes. Just follow if that's all he needs to graduate. Oh, he's well. a redshirt junior. I mean, I, I don't I don't know Kennedy Brooks personally. I don't know what his aspirations are. He could very well you know, want his degree, he can still get that. Obviously, he opts out from playing football. But, I mean, I don't. it's just weird. It's weird. I, I think OU fans have kind of resigned themselves to the fact that they're just going to have Seth McGowan, Ramondre Stevenson when he's able to come back from – Oh, my God, Seth McGowan. Seth McGowan, yeah, the clip that you even mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, look, I, I think we briefly talked about him when we talked about Kennedy Brooks last episode. I like Seth McGowan's tape. Having said that, he was the clear number two choice, right? Because of Jace McClellan, and um, and I, who was the was it Knighton? Yeah, Jalen Knighton. He he. So Seth McGowan was essentially the third choice, and Seth McGowan grew up an OU fan, mm-hmm. so it wasn't that hard of a sell. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of downplayed his like people being excited for him because if you just sit down and watch his film, he's an impressive back. He's just unfortunately, from what I could tell from his high school film, he's just another running back in the vein of a Kennedy Brooks or uh, a Brennan Clay. If, just, if, if uh, his feet if his feet are as good as what they've showcased through OU football's Twitter account, that's not something he showed it on his senior tape. Yeah. If his feet are that good with his vision, his physicality, and if he can just be a 4-6 runner, 40-yard dash guy, kind of like what Samaje was, I mean, this guy's going to be a load to deal with. He runs with a very low pad level. He wants to be physical. He wants to pop you in the mouth when he can. Uh, you know, and then you talk about Marcus Major as well and all the positive reviews of him, uh, you know, after or prior to his injury a year ago. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, there is a lot of people that are within the program that, you know, on other podcasts, on other websites that continue to talk high about what his potential could be. And this is a guy that even I was told last year that if he didn't get hurt, he was going to be a factor as a, in the running back room last year. Yeah, so, uh, you know, as the season went on. So, you know, this is a the, the running back situation in general. I think's kind of been overblown a little bit in terms of losing Kennedy Brooks. I mean, you've got guys that have the same production. I know I've mentioned the safety valve um, comparison for him about what you're going to get, but. When you talk about overall impact and the guy and guys that can, you know, change games at the running back position, I mean, they're still there for Oklahoma. You just can't have, you can't have another guy go down. You can't have it. You can't especially have a TJ Pletcher go down. A guy that knows his role, a guy that knows his assignments, that can pass block, that knows his pass blocking duties, that can catch the ball out of the backfield, that can be consistent if a Marcus Major or Seth McGowan or not until Ramondre Stevenson gets back. Um, you know, you you can't have any more guys go down, but overall, I think the you know the running back situation right now is still in a really good shape, and I know Lincoln, you know, R- Riley reiterated that today. Yeah, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about Marcus Major, and we didn't actually talk about this when we prepped for the podcast. So, apologies, Keegan, if you don't really have a take on Marcus Major, but I, I simply just have a question, and I'll preface it by pointing out that 
look, ideally, as an OU fan, I like when there are a good amount of Oklahoma prospects on the team making positive impacts, making big impacts. I love the 08 team, Sam Bradford, local product. Uh, the 2000 championship team had a good number of Oklahoma kids on that roster as well. That's awesome. At the same time, I also get annoyed when there are Oklahoma kids on the roster who routinely screw up on the field, and they seem to get a huge pass from the fan base simply because they're from Tulsa, or they're from Owasso, or their name is Trey Brown. I get really annoyed with it. Where does the hype for Marcus Major come from? I like, like His film was cool. He played against a certain level of competition. In high school. 2A in Oklahoma. So that gives me some pause. And it's just been a whole bunch of people close to the, not even close to the program. J.D. Runnels talked about him being the next Adrian Peterson. And I'm like, that is so hyperbole of a take that it's either completely true or, God love him, J.D. Runnels either knows the kid personally and he's doing what any friend would do in that situation. you like blowing your blowing your friend up. I just, like, where does this hype for Marcus Major come from? Well, I think when you talk about just the physical aspect of him, right? You know, he six looks foot, great. Six foot, six foot one, 220. A guy that could really run, probably a four or five runner. Very physical. Could be a home run hitter as a running back. Um, you know, but there are things that we haven't seen from Marcus Major. And you kind of rely on the things you've heard. You know, I can tell you from what I heard last year, that within the program there was a lot of positive buzz about him being more than just a guy for Oklahoma, more than just another running back. Um, This is a guy that could be an impact player. Um, So I think that's where all the buzz is coming from. But as you said, you know, you think that's that's bad. There's going to be a kid that's that I think Oklahoma right now is in a very, very good spot for. His name is Brennan Thompson. He's from Spearman, Texas. They had the same amount of kids on the sidelines I had in high school. And now, and remind you, we had 33 players suited up to start my senior year of high school. That was it. So this is how small this school is from. But Brady, oh my God, can this kid fly? And it's kind of like Marcus Major. It's oh my God, this kid can run. Oh my goodness, this kid's physical. And you know, along those same lines, I think you know we put a ton of weight on that in film. But you know that when it matches up with what you're hearing from inside the program, I think that's where the buzz comes from. And Oklahoma, you know, with Marcus Major, I, I think he's going to, you know, he's going to be able to get his carries. And we're going to find out in that Missouri State game how he truly, truly looks. And then, obviously, the Kansas State game, you know, I we'll probably see the ones be with the ones and see who starts that game. But, you know, they're really hyping up Seth McGowan. And before you get going, I just want to say this. You know, I have an NFL source, NFL kind of where I can find some yeah. things out about, you know, I knew Kenneth Murray was heading the NFL early and all those things. That same NFL source asked me about Trey Brown the other night. He's fast. I get it. And they're enamored with him. They're they're enamored with him because of all the things that we can predict. It, let, let's say that <laughs> we're able to have a season, and that means we're able to have an NFL combine. Trey Brown's going to test well. Mm-hmm. We thought we thought that about Kenneth Murray um, before Alex Grinch ever came into the picture. Look, he is not. Like he he got dealt a bad hand by having to play as an eighteen year old middle linebacker. It's not his fault that OU was thin at that That's position. Never played linebacker. That's before never this. never played that position before. Like so, he got dealt a bad hand, and he's made plays, but he's also not necessarily learned from his mistakes. Like for the first two years, Kenneth Murray could not shed a block to save his life, and he would routinely run through the wrong gap, 
And it seemed like, especially against Texas when Ky- Kyler lost that game in the Cotton Bowl, it seemed like Kenneth Murray was purposefully run- running through the wrong hole because he just didn't want that smoke. But we all predicted, probably correctly, because Kenneth Murray ended up having great coaching and became a great player his junior year, but we all predicted he's going to test well. Because the dude is a Greek god. He's fast. He's strong. He looks exactly like like you want to look mm-hmm. as a linebacker, especially at the NFL level. The same shit's going to happen with Trey Brown. He's going to test well. And, look, he made that cool play against Baylor to ultimately save OU in that game and help them win the Big 12 championship. I don't want my cornerbacks having to run 80 yards in a straight line because they get that burned. Wasn't, that wasn't his fault. I know it wasn't his fault. But let's not act like Trey Brown is even Zach Sanchez. And Zach Sanchez was a guy who was heavily criticized by the fan base, but at least he could catch the ball when it was thrown directly to him. Trey Brown has stone hands. Pro football focus. He routinely gets burned. He routinely gets popped for pass interference because he's out of position. He doesn't have his head turned. Maybe he's made a a leap. This is me talking as a frustrated fan. Alex Grinch, you popped his name up. Whenever about guys that are standing out that are practicing different in the question that I asked them. So, and I've got an NFL person asking about them. Just saying. I mean, cool, 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 cool. Fourth, fifth round, sixth round, fifth, fifth, sixth. When coaches talk up players. Okay, if he gets drafted but Parnell Motley didn't, there is something wrong there. Yeah, and which, by the way, I, I, I. On this podcast, when John Hoover was the co-host, and I think even a few times with you, I always said, I thought Parnell Motley was always the best corner, best defensive player of that group over the last few years because, yes, he would get burned. Yes, he would make bad plays. But he had the men, the right mentality in a quarterback that you want. He would give up a bad play, but he wouldn't hang his head. He would go to the sideline, go try and find out what happened, and then he'd come back and probably not make the same mistake. He had one bad stretch of play, and it was OSU in 2017. It was that, and that's why uh, Trey Moore and Trey he's Brown. He's had some other Parnell Motley. That's the one that sticks out to me the yeah, most. Yeah, that was but, bad. He got and, replaced and he, by Trey Norwood, And he also got, got thrown out of a game for kicking somebody against Kansas, Kansas State, State last year. And that's not why OU lost, but it helped the snowball effect. Yeah. Um, at the same time, Parnell was always a guy that I counted on that could turn his damn head around – that could make athletic plays when he was in position to, that could tackle, and also if the ball was thrown to him, he was going to make a play. I don't have that with Trey Norwood. I don't have that with Trey Brown. I kind of had that with Jaden Davis, but even though I know Mike Stoops and Kenny Cooks aren't here anymore, I'm still kind of of the same mindset of they look good as freshmen and then they get progressively worse. Mm -hmm. But I shouldn't think that because there's obviously a new regime with Alex Grinch. I just can't get unless until I see differently. I'm just going to keep feeling the same way. Uh, yeah, and it's understandable, and it should be, and that should be a feeling that a lot of people feel. Um, you know, heading into this season, you talk a guy, you know, a guy like Deshaun White, a guy like Brian Asamoa that have to make leaps for Oklahoma's defense to be where it needs to be, and if they can take the proper steps needed that Kenneth Murray made and Parnell Motley made and Neville Gallimore made under this new regime, then, you know, those are – that's a positive thing. And it's a good thing um, for the staff. It's a good thing to continue to showcase to recruits to get – probably that's probably going to get you more guys in the NFL. Um, but, you know, you talk about Dre Brown and, and, 
you know my disdain for pro football focus at this point. Oh, yeah. Half of their stuff doesn't also make sense. Also known as Trey Brown. Tra- yeah, <laughs> which is – they've been all over Trey Brown um, this offseason, a guy that he could become. I think Trey Brown, you know, he has some things that he has to improve on, like interceptions, turning his head around more, um, you know, probably better at the line of scrimmage. Like, he's a physical guy. Go be physical. Uh, but – you know, if there is one positive thing, to the positive things that came out of that Peach Bowl was that Trey Brown played really well. Did he play well? Or, he did. Or did he sim- was he simply on the same field as Justin Broyles? Well, no, and they ta- they targeted Trey Brown a lot early in the game. And yes, then, he, he made some good play. Like yeah, he made, he looked like what I'm told he is exactly. a handful of times. And then Parnell Motley, besides his one bus, looked well. So they were really good on the outside. I mean, they just had one issue, and that was – one, not having a second guy, and all the focus was on Neville Gallimore up front. And then not having, you know, a capable safety to be able to come up and make plays in the running game as well as make plays in the passing game, which is yep. what DTY did for much of the last half of the season last year. So it's it's one of those things, though, that, you know, you talk about the potential of this defense for this upcoming year. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of the weight is on Trey Brown's shoulders. A lot of the weight is on Jaden Davis's shoulders, on Trey Norwood and Buki Radley Hiles, and the guys that are, you know, I, I'm actually very confident in how the safeties are going to play this year, and Pat Fields and Delaren Turner Yell, and you know, if it's gonna, they're, it's gonna say a lot about where this defense is at. If they can get corners that can play on an island, um, if Trey Brown could be the guy Parnell Motley was for much of the year last year. And if Jaden Davis can be better than what he was a year ago, I think that's you know a significant deal for Oklahoma's defense, and it really could elevate them instead of you know what I've predicted in terms of them being kind of the same defense they were a year ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, quite honestly, if they're the same defense that they were a year ago, which I don't know how they can be that without Kenneth Murray, I guess that means that somebody at least takes the leadership role that Kenneth Murray's absence is leaving but they, they like a lot of what Perry on Winfrey's brought to the yeah, table yeah so far um but if they're the same defense they were a year ago they're probably winning the big 12 again if we're able to get through the season in regards to Trey Brown like I'll say this if he he could very well make a leap and become the player that I've been routinely told that he is from people who listen like you the NFL draft people to just OU fans, maybe, maybe I just have too high of a too high expectations for players that are from Oklahoma. And I mean, what, it's sad that you know the last really really good corner was Aaron Colvin, a long time and ago, and that was in 2013 and 2014. I, I like Jamel Fleming. I thought he he had a cup of coffee in the NFL with Texas. He was before Col- he graduated before Colvin, though I think. I mean, pretty sure Colvin in twenty thirteen. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Fleming was older than because I remember they know, were on Amari Cooper heading into the draft that year after um, you beat Alabama, and he was. At, they asked him who his toughest matchup was on the year, and some, and he said Aaron Colvin, and everybody was like, "What?" Uh, no, Eric Slick was awesome. Like his first start as a freshman was against Texas, and yes, twenty ten. I think it was the twenty ten Texas game. That Texas team was nowhere, nobody to write home about. But we've seen bad Texas teams beat good OU teams. It's Case, a it Case me, McCoy beat. It's one. different in the Cotton Bowl. And Aaron Colvin's first start, and he was phenomenal against mm-hmm. Texas. And even though they sucked, they still had some phenomenal athletes on offense. But um, if Trey Brown makes that leap, like I will eat crow from you, I will eat crow from you. Know from, my feelings on Trey Brown, so you won't be hearing having to eat crow from me. Well, but, but from I, I, I will have to answer to a lot of a people, lot of people, and I. I 
Like I will fully 100% admit it. And I hope Trey Brown, make, like I'm rooting for Trey Brown. He's going to start. He's going to be on the field all the time. I'm just saying what I've seen. If, if he hasn't made the leap, hey, Sam Ellinger, all you got to do on third down, throw a jump ball to his, to his guy, and he will run into him, mm-hmm. and you will get a first down. Fifth, I mean, probably the height of Trey Brown for this upcoming year is probably a fifth-round pick. And if that happens, that'd then be great for OU's defense. If that happens, then Roy Manning, who has never coached corners before in his life, well done, sir. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I guess from Trey Brown, from OU's defense. I mean, is there anything else on defense that we need to like really address? Because no. I, I know you you asked Alex Grinch last week a really good question about Buki, mm-hmm. and I thought Alex's uh, question or his answer was really really good and. I, I kind of mentioned this when I was like, when, when assistant coaches or coaches just talk up players in the off season, I don't really buy it. But with Buki, maybe it's just because we know how smart he is on the field. We know how athletic he's the he most is. Instinctive player on that defense. Yes, he he. We don't need to get into the fact that he's small and short. He has some obvious critiques to his game that keep him from probably like getting to the point that we thought he was going to get to. He's also played out of position. Like we don't need to get into that either. But when he's talk, when he's glowing about Buki, I'm just like, I want to believe it so damn bad, even though just like with Trey Brown, there's so much evidence to the contrary. Mm-hmm. And not just him. And I think this is part of, you know, not being able to record. And I completely forgot about this conversation. This is a guy in Alex Grinch. That's been as brutally honest as a coach, coordinator, whoever it may be, that I've ever dealt with. A year ago at this time, he basically was saying everybody sucked. Oklahoma's depth should never be like this. And how the hell did we get here? And now he's like, these guys are different players. Yeah, These guys are practicing the way I want them to play. These guys are bought in to the length that I need them to be bought in at. And... The in the fact of the you know the matter with Alex Grinch, he just doesn't come out and say that kind of stuff. Because if you remember, and I will never forget this, probably ever, as long as I keep doing this. After the Peach Bowl, Alex Grinch basically was telling us that yeah, yeah, I was telling you guys about it. This this was was an issue. It's been an issue, and now guess what? I got to go recruit. It's like I got to get better players, and yes. you just. And then for a guy like that to turn around to just start glowing about how all, basically every returning starter has been practicing is – I think that's remarkable from a culture standpoint. And it's remarkable, uh, uh, you know, the fact that this these weren't players that – it seemed like they didn't want to be coached hard. And now they do. And they're buying in to this system and to this idea. And, you know, you just give – uh, I know this is typical coach speak here, but you give guys just a little bit of confidence and they can run with it. Yeah. There's no telling what can be accomplished. Yeah, and I think a lot of it probably goes to Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore getting drafted. I think now def- defensive players at OU now see a path to, hey, yes, we've been terrible for the last decade on defense, but we if we just listen to Alex Grinch and listen to these position coaches – and they put us, they're all putting us in the right positions to make plays. If we can just make the leap, we can get drafted. Buki could get drafted. Probably not, but he could. Mm-hmm. If he played like he, his athletic ability dictates he should, his brain and his athleticism could get him drafted. Maybe. He's just too damn small, though. But I, I, I guess I'm more inclined to believe in Buki and less inclined to believe in Trey. I, I don't know what that says about me, but... 
does Buki get moved out the corner in the NFL? I mean, that's I think that's. Can you imagine question. if he did and he became a Pro Bowler? <laughs> oh, I'd have so many tweets. I would whatever be whatever Mike Stoops and Kerry Cooks were doing at the time, like in the future, they should be fired. <laughs> if if they're like a, at a job somewhere else, they should just be like, hey. You're retroactively fired. <laughs> Carno Motley may end up making the roster as not just a special teams player, but a corner. Here's the here's the hot here what's the hot take? Parnell Motley, really good NFL quarterback, because apparently he's picking off Tom Brady every five minutes. Or is Tom Brady just old and washed up now? Because he's throwing picks to an undrafted quarterback. <laughs> it's mystifying. It really is. You talk about a guy that just makes a complete one eighty in his football career and it's he made plays at the beginning, he fell off in the middle, and he became a steady force that you can count on. They at the put end. him on an island last year for 70% of the season. And he rarely made dumb plays. He he never ran into somebody. If he ever got flagged, it was always something like I like the that that's a 50-50 call that didn't go our way. He didn't just go da 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 and just run into somebody. Yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, and this is a guy down in Tampa Bay in a, in a franchise that's dying for success. And um, oh, dying for success is, I don't think that's the phrase, but I just use it. They're anyways. melting for it's hot down there yeah. in Tampa. And uh, and, the, in, and the COVID dies in the heat as we as we've no, learned. Which that, just I'm just to, kidding. Get don't that in there. don't take that down, internet. <laughs> I'm not passing but along false information. He's you know Pardo Motley. You know you talk about just him and his mindset and. You know, I, I know there were a there was a media member, a local media member that was giving me flack for some of my questions about Pornell after he was snubbed from the, you know, NFL combine, but this is what we were all saying. And I know Lincoln Riley re- even reiterated today, if you just if I just didn't get if you just watched the tape. If you just watched the tape. Yes, I know the guy's got some physical limitations. But for corners, and I've learned this over the summer that you take their instincts way more than I. You account for those, in my opinion, way more than their athleticism, way more than their length, because you know you get a guy like Buki, that he's probably the only guy in Oklahoma's defense that picks that ball off against TCU last year. Yeah, ball that, still, that incredible play. Yeah, that, that's why I believe in him. Yeah, and then, but then even there's plays like in the Texas game to where he's selling out. So he can have a Blow safety. Up the jailbreak screen. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a safety comes and makes a play, or he is on a blitz, run blitz, stops, and almost picks off Sam Ellinger. I know we posted these videos, this is why I'm talking about him. But, you know, there were just so many good things that Buki did last year. And, um, you know, I, I think his next step is, is not taking himself out of place. Like, like you know, a, a guard or tackles pulling around the corner. Yeah. And instead of, you know, trying to get around and make the play, he would just completely take himself as well as that blocker out of the play and to allow a safety to try to come up and make a play. And the safeties weren't at a point last year, and I'm specifically talking about the TCU and Iowa State games where this happened quite a bit. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that I think Buki is going to be limited in the role he's in at Oklahoma because of his size. But this is a guy that can actually can move outside at the next level if a team's willing to do that. You know, I think he's got a chance to be a really, really good corner, and I still believe that. And he dropped weight, um, you know, over the summer into the into the fall. Yeah. I think he lost six pounds. So that I mean, that's a positive. And well, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Even even imagine like Buki at Nickelback if OU had a safety like a Clinton Carter or a Tony Jefferson. I think that's I. 
I don't know. You we'll can get, get away more... with Buki at his with his size disadvantage. Oh, I, and I think you know I preached on that for much of last year is that the safeties have to be better in the run game. They yeah. got to be better rucking, recognizing what run blo- blocks are as ta- you know from the tackles and and the guards, and then be able to trigger and come downhill. And it was just too inconsistent last year. And I think you know you talk about what Buki brought to the table is he he opened up those you know, rushing lanes for the safeties and linebackers to fill in. And they were, you know, inconsistent at times, filling those in the, you know, timely manner that they needed to be done. So, you know, you know, he's going to be a guy that's, I think, has a chance to be an impact player this year. And and as you said, you know, at the beginning of this, that Alex Grinch, you know, was extremely high on him. And it was, you know, it's for obvious reasons. And, you know, this is a guy that can be a high-level player and, and a guy that if he plays at the level that he's capable of, Oklahoma has a not just a leader for them to look at, but an emotional leader and a guy the whole locker room, the recruiting trail, everybody's rooting to have success. Yeah. So it, it works tenfold for Oklahoma if this is a guy that's not now bought in because it's clear, and I, I hate to make one instance to summarize Buki Radley Hiles, but it was clear he was still a me guy last year. He had one personal foul penalty at home, the same thing that happened in the Peach Bowl. Yeah. So it was a uh, you know repeating occurrence, and it's something that happens in this freshman year. If this is a guy that's turned from a kind of a me guy, kind of a we guy, to a complete team guy, I think Oklahoma's defense is going to get a huge boost because this gets. I'm about to get into Kendall Daniels' rant, but the Nickelbacks, <laughs> the Nickelback position is the most important position on that defense yes it is in terms of you're playing the backside run you're playing the flats you got to be able to play cover one you got to be able to um i mean just especially in this conference yeah and so it's uh you know there's just so many things that buki has to account for and if he's the guy that everybody you know expects him to be then oklahoma is going to get a huge boost you know from the production on their defense to the recruiting trail to the i think morale of the locker room everybody wants to see buki redley house succeed he's a really good dude um i enjoy you know covering him and talking to him and um, we'll see you know kind of what he brings to the table for this year but i think him you know losing weight is a very good sign that you know he's bought in um to what he where he needs to be for this upcoming season man we just spent 10 minutes on Buki Radley Hiles. Like, we desperately need football, Keegan. We desperately need football to talk about. <laughs> We're talking about it. I know, I know, I know. But look, it's it's weird because I know the fan base for the most part has given up on Buki. And look, look, there's a lot of evidence to support that. Um, but just like you said, Keegan, if he does make that leap in terms of just being a, a complete team football player, like, I don't know how much this, if this observation is worth a damn at all. But it seemed like when he made plays, especially when he forced turnovers, the defense got, they were, they were obviously excited. They got the ball. They were more excited that it was Buki. Mm-hmm. There's just something about his personality that would make, would suggest that if someone's going to be able to hopefully, even if it has to be a Perry on run free and a Buki and somebody else, or if it's just those two guys, if someone's going to um, take over the leadership void that Kenneth Murray left, it has to be Buki because he's the guy who people are, I guess, attracted to. On, on the team it just seems that way whenever he'd make plays so hopefully that's the case because OU's defense needs all the help but I guess I mean they're getting help in the form of here's me segueing into recruiting um they're getting help in the future 
OU lands four-star defensive tackle Kevin Gilliam or Gilliam? Gilliam. Gilliam. Over schools like Penn State. Who else did they get them over? It was Penn State and South Carolina, but it was it was an OU Penn State battle. OU Penn State battle, which, look, four-star defensive tackle. From a guy from the Northeast. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what OU fans have been clamoring for for the longest time, and maybe it's just because people that followed recruiting were probably just privy to the fact that he was going to OU for a little bit. I mean, Keegan, to me, not that much of not that much fanfare for something that OU fans have been dying for for the better part of three to five years. Because a kid's committing on Saturday night. Figure it out, kids. Oh, yeah, I know. If you do it on a Monday, we get to talk to you. We yeah, get to talk when, about you all week. Yeah, when the radio shows are all on, when everyone's on their phones. Like, look, even even on Twitter, I know not to post a podcast link on a weekend. Because less people are on social media and deserving so go go out go outside, but I post stuff on during the week because mm-hmm. it's when most people are plugged in. So kids, if you want attention, do it on a Monday. Oh, and they want attention, of course. Uh, but no, they, you know this is a guy that you talk about. You want to raise the floor, right, of this defense, and you know continue to raise the ceiling as well. But you know, you continue to raise that floor, and that's what Kelvin, Kelvin Gilliam does. He's one of the more assignment, and I, I, I say this with confidence, he, he is truly one of the more assignment, disciplined, sound defensive linemen in the country. You turn on his tape, he's not crashing down whenever one of his guards or tackles pulls. He's staying in his gap, and then he's going to make plays. He's got a handful of skill moves already, but he's he's a big guy. I wish he had more of a, fix, uh, a mean streak. I wish he played with a little more physicality. I wish he played with a little more I want to rip your head off mentality. But, you know, you talk about a guy that is going to do all the right things as well as has the body type that you want. Um, you know, I see him more of a – more in the frame. And you'll get my reference here because you've heard me say it. I thought when Pat Fields was coming out of high school, I thought Pat Fields was already a Will Johnson. That where Will Johnson was at as a senior in college, Pat Fields was at as a senior in high school. I yeah. feel like where LaRon Stokes is at as a senior in college is where Kelvin Gilliam is at as a senior in high school. Okay. And I think this is a guy that he is where he needs to be already before he gets to Oklahoma. Into the nutrition and the conditioning. Into all- the physical body type in terms of discipline, in terms of his technique, uh, all those things that Oklahoma's not going to have to spend a lot. He's going to get on the field right away because he's going to be a guy that is going to under one he's gonna all he has to do is pick up the system he doesn't have to come in and get a huge bunch of work the summer before coming in he's not a guy that has a ton of tech technical work he needs to he needs to focus on he just can come in and play right away and I think that's going to benefit Oklahoma quite a bit especially when you're talking about whenever he gets in you're you know Jalen Redmond's on his way out Laurent Stokes is on his way out Corey Roberson you hope only has one more year because then that means he's off to the NFL so then you you get to insert a Marcus Hicks, you get to insert a Kelvin Gilliam, you get to insert all these guys at the defensive tackle position. Then I'll say he's listed as a D end, um, but this is a guy in my opinion is going to stay inside. He's going to play that three technique, four eye technique defensive tackle, and you know we'll uh, we'll see kind of what comes of it. But it's uh you know it's one of those things that as you said the optics though right land the 104th best player in the country according to rivals the number nine defensive tackle in the country four-star recruit and landing him in the state of virginia do we need to talk about the pipeline that's building in the dmv if, virginia if OU, area if he's going to trade california for virginia i'm not going to complain 
There's some there's some dudes out yeah. of Baltimore, DC, Virginia area. Like they're I mean, obviously it's it's a southern state, so football's you people typically don't think of Virginia as a football state, but it is. You watch Remember the Titans? Exactly. It's where Remember the Titans comes from. Um there are a lot of great high school players out of the state of Virginia, and I know California has some very fine athletes. OU's had a great history with OU with players out of California, but it seems like that the hit bust rate out of California it's uh it's all over the place Mm -hmm. Virginia I mean obviously there's a lot you know that we will see over the next few years but I mean that's part of the country that's the part of the country that you want to get guys out of if you're trying to win national championships just the south it's that simple Mm -hmm. yeah and you're talking about an area as well that has a ton of influence on the Clemson's and the Penn States and the Ohio States of the world. Those are in LSU. LSU recruits the DC, the DMV area as hard as anybody. So you're talking about four of the better defensive programs in the country. And Oklahoma is going in and not just landing a Kelvin Gilliam, but high school teammate of DeMond Harmon, who got a huge bump in the rivals rankings today up to, I believe 192 or 190 um, from unranked and a three-star recruit. So speaking of which, before we get, ne- I think it's a great segue into the next one. Yeah, Caleb Williams may be bringing in a number one class. What are the What are your thoughts on that? Well, obviously that makes me happy. My pantaloons, Keegan. So, um, I mean, I think this is the thing that everybody, for whatever reason, whether it was silly to think this or we were supposed to think it, and it just didn't happen. Like a lot of people thought that the fireworks were going to go off on July fourth, other than just Caleb Williams and McCutcheon, of course. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, Caleb Williams, he, he's that type of personality. He's he, People are attracted to him in much of the same way that people are attracted to Buki. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, with recruiting, it's always a long game, and the pandemic has, like, really thrown a monkey wrench into it, like, in terms of, I think, players making decisions maybe earlier than they than they would have in another universe, or they might be making them later than they would in another universe. So um, it makes a lot of sense. It It's exciting the only thing that re- I really take away from what Caleb Williams is doing, all these players with the Sooner Summit thing is, oh, my God, B.J. Simmons, Simons, whatever the hell your name is, you were just that dude that played in 2004 and got your ass kicked and you guys came to Norman from Texas Tech. I'm sorry you're mad online. And Did, Was he around way, when Lincoln was there? I think he might have been because he was, he was a part of that quarterback carousel where like every year they would replace somebody with a fifth year senior so i think he was technically on campus when lincoln riley was either a player or at least a student coach Mm -hmm. so just like i told some texas tech friends over the weekend that i was hanging out with up in colorado thank you very much for lincoln riley but go away now i'm looking up to see if lincoln riley was there at the same time but yeah though it's you talk about a kid and his dad willing the willingness they were to to put in the work to put this all together. I think it just speaks volumes to his potential leadership, to his commitment to excellence. And, you know, I think that something that Lincoln covets at the quarterback position and we'll see, uh, we'll see how this all pans out. But, you know, you get a Tristan Lee, you get a Kamara Wheaton, you get a Savion Bird. Wink, wink. Oh, yeah. And then you get a you know a, a guy like Jaleel Farouk. And even to mention the state of Virginia and the DMV area, Oklahoma's going to land six guys potentially from there this year. 
that's uh talk about a complete 180 from the state of California to the Northeast. It, it, it's, you know, and I want to say this, there is one guy on the staff that is not getting enough credit. Shane Beamer is opening doors in parts of the country that have never been open for Oklahoma before. That's a good point. In the state of Virginia, you know, whenever I was talking to Caleb for doing my profile on Caleb Williams, his high school coach, his athletic, you know, director, they mentioned Lincoln Riley almost in the same breath as Shane Beamer. They did. That, and this is a guy that is just not getting enough credit um, in terms of bringing to the table. Now, that makes a lot of sense whenever you're talking about a Dennis Simmons who's bringing in multiple five-star wide receivers every year and Bill Beanbow who this year, if this pans out with Tristan Lee, Bryce Foster, Savion Burden, Cole Montgomery, oh my God, after last year's class. I mean, talk about stacking offensive linemen on stacking offensive linemen. You go from Adrian Ely, Tyrese Robinson, Creed Humphrey, Marquise Hayes in a class to Anton Harrison, Aaron Parks, Andrew Rame, Nate Anderson, and uh, Noah Nelson. And then you bring in Tristan Lee, Bryce Foster, Savion Bird, and Colin Montgomery. I mean, that's why Shane Beamer's not getting enough credit, but this is a now a Shane Beamer segment, and he is doing absolute work for Oklahoma on the recruiting trail, getting them into places that they never been before. I, I if tra- if Shane Beamer never came to Oklahoma, Oklahoma would not have gotten Caleb Williams. Whew. Even That's with a take. Li- even with Lincoln, I think even with Lincoln. Was that Clemson then? I think it would have been LSU or LSU. Yeah. Shane Damn. Beamer's Shane Beamer's relationship with school with people from the state of Virginia, obviously with a Virginia Tech background with his dad and him coaching there. But it and and then he coached, I believe, at South Carolina before he came to Oklahoma. Okay. He was the special teams or tight ends coach there. So Shane Beamer, a close personal friend of Thunderhead coach Billy Donovan, because I saw Shane Beamer at like a few Thunder practices last year and I was like, Is that Shane? That's we like what are you doing here? And I asked Billy about it. He's like, Oh yeah, like, we go way back. So he uh, uh, Lincoln Riley was a player in 2000, or he was a student assistant whenever B.J. Simons was there. <sighs> you think there's some bad blood there? You think B.J. Simons? What does is, the B.J. stand for? That's the true question. I'm not gonna get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, oh, it'll be huge quiet, hit, huge people. hit this weekend. Yeah, you want to get into some of it? Yeah, let's do I it. I thought it was interesting. Uh, field situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they got away with that. I don't know how they got away with the kids maybe of potentially being able to watch practice because that's not open to the public to do at all times. Yes. I don't know. I don't – unless they zoomed them in from the hotel. Because I was told Oklahoma can't have any contact Yeah. ahead of the weekend. But it was clear that Tristan Lee's little brother got an offer over a Zoom call. So – I don't, but I will say this, Oklahoma cleared everything with compliance before this weekend happened. Well, I mean, and the people out there that think that Oklahoma willingly cheated in this thing don't know anything about Oklahoma's compliance department. It's the strictest compliance department in the country. Yeah. It's the only one that's not connected directly to the athletic department. It is. It's a third party. Alabama, theirs is in the athletic department. Therefore... In th- like in theory and in practice, their compliance has no vested interest in 
ratting out the football program or making them look bad. So it's as simple as that. Um, no, it's it's weird because we complained about Texas A&M doing pretty much the same thing a few like, like a month, Kendall Daniels, you know, yeah. a month or so ago. But hey, if this is the way the game is going to be played, then OU would be silly. But the difference is, is this was out in front of everybody for everybody to see. Yeah, that's the biggest difference between this. Aren't we? Aren't we seeing though with the pandemic and the NCAA not having any power to really do anything? Aren't like isn't this just another chip in the stupid ass foundation of the NCAA as a governing body? I mean, the fact that they have no control really over recruiting. Yeah, yeah, it's like we are dangerously close to college football. Without an NCAA or with just a, a central system or a centralized governing body, which would make everything more uniform and easier to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've become because of the situation with Kevin Warren in the Big Ten. I've become what mul- a joke. Yeah, I mean, I still don't get why he's getting so much flack. I guess because of the transparency, but it's not like he he was the one making the decision for all the schools. I I, th- I think it's something as simple as he Kevin Warren has this like. It's like he just assumed, oh, we're going to take the moral high ground here and everyone's just going to follow suit. Well, the Pac-12 is just going to do whatever someone else tells them to do because Pac-12 doesn't give a shit about football. No. But Kevin Warren, like, a lot of their understanding of why they shouldn't play in the fall has been debunked. Like, the the whole heart thing. Like, that's been debunked. And their whole idea of we're going to play a bunch of games in the spring and then a bunch of games in the fall is stupid. Now, you and I for a long time said that we should move the sport to the spring. That would have been, of course, with the understanding that we made this decision months ago. Therefore, we had more time to prepare for it and then also to maybe do something different for the 21 season. So you don't have kids playing two seasons in one calendar year because that's stupid. Mm -hmm. The Big Ten's just... I, I don't know what their philosophy is other than they're just afraid liability. of liability because they're working under the archaic idea that these kids are going to be student athletes forever. Like I just said, we are dangerously close to college football being completely different. Mm-hmm. And the schools and conferences that are, you know, you can even, you can even look at the big 12, the SEC and the ACC as being morally incorrect here and forcing quote unquote kids to play football during a pandemic. Okay. But this will help the players' cause later down the road when we're trying to get them paid. Because mm-hmm. they'll be able to point to, like, hey, I got sick playing a sport that I don't get paid for, but you guys get billions of dollars for. Where are my medical expenses? Where's my money? Mm-hmm. And then the Big 12, the SEC, and AC would probably, like, schools be like, yeah, let's pay them. Especially OU. It's in OU's best interest to pay their players because only a handful of schools can do it. OU is one of those schools. You take away, like, having to out-recruit players from smaller secondary regional schools, and it's just down to you and Bama, you and LSU, you and Clemson, and OU will take their chances. So, like, it's just silly. I'm just yeah, I'm upset we don't have a governing body, a centralized governing body, so everyone's on the same page. And I was, that's what I was kind of going along the lines with is that, you know, I've come off my hate a little bit of the NCAA. They're not very progressive. They – work with an agenda, but they are representing what these schools want. Yeah. Which is kind of whenever you think about it, it's kind of mind boggling that we've gotten to this point to where the schools hate the NCAA, but they're the ones that 
are in the NCAA. Just get out of it. But, no, back to the Sooner Summit. No, a huge weekend. I heard going into it that Oklahoma was confident in every guy that visited that they were going to land them. And, obviously, the quotes and everything else that's come out of it, uh, I think, speak true to that, that Oklahoma and Caleb Williams and everybody, it was a huge hit for them. And, uh, you know, yeah, I did think this was pretty good. You ready? Oh, yeah. They – this weekend – was a the typical run through weekend for the video board to be on. Yeah. So while these kids were visiting, there was something on the video board the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> they hey. were at they there was a chance they could have been at practice, but Oklahoma didn't want to risk it that much. Yeah. Think about that. There was a loophole that they could have gotten these kids into practice and allowed them to watch. What do you know? Hey, loop. From what I understand, it was along the lines of all of our practices are open. We just hire security to keep people out. Yeah. And if security's not there, then. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How did, these kids, get, how did these kids get in here? Meanwhile, let's fog up all the dorm windows. So, <laughs> yeah. So the eighteen-year-old yeah. like student students that probably don't have a don't give a damn about football, because let's let's just be honest. A lot of those kids that are in those dorms, they do not, not care. care. They're not at OU for football. <laughs> no, not to go watch it. They're there because I've done it. I have. I was ultim- I was super curious when I was a student. What is Bazell Library like on a game day during a game? So I left at halftime of like the UL Monroe game, or no, it wasn't. That was after I graduated. But whatever. And I went into the basement where, like, all the like where I would go, like where all the history books are. Mm-hmm. And there were like twenty kids down there that just did not give a damn. And it's like, wow, this is a whole other world. People using their brains, yeah, who, who have much better, well, maybe not better, but more pay, better paying jobs. Yeah, than that's right what now. I was gonna yeah. say. Yeah, so, they're making a hell of a lot more money. So uh, more credit money than to them. I am. No, and so it it was a huge hit. Um, obviously, we have two commitment emojis out there. Let me tell you, if one of them comes to fruition, Brady, oh, my God. No, huge weekend. We have two, you know, emojis out there. Obviously, one of them's for a guy from the from the summit, and uh, another guy is not. So, now it's kind of like the birds chirping at random times. And oh. You like that noise, right? Oh, yeah. The bird is the word. It is. So, um, but successful weekend, nevertheless – you know, a bunch of crystal balls from, you know, a guy that I trust um, a lot. And, and uh, you know, Texas recruiting reporter Mike Roach, you know, put a crystal ball in from Kamar Wheaton. I can tell you Oklahoma had to change some ways of that they were recruiting Kamar. There were some issues. It's something we've talked about privately, right? Yes. Okay. There were some issues. It needs to stay private? From the Kamar Wheaton, no. The, you want to get into it? Not completely, but, oh. I mean, we can – briskly yeah. go over it. But, yeah, you know, with Kamar Wheaton, there was, you know, specific things that were issues with Oklahoma. And mm. Oklahoma had to iron those out. And this is, you know, whenever you talk about the hire DeMarco Murray and not having any experience in terms of recruiting. At this level. At this level, you know, there's just some – you've got to be able to adjust. And cl- it was clear that DeMarco wasn't getting – what DeMarco brings to the table as a person, personality, former player, former NFL great, sooner great, 
that that's going to rub off well on some players and it could potentially not rub off well on other players. It'll help OU at some point with some player, I have no doubt, but potentially not with Kamar. No. Yeah. It not his personality from what I understand. You know, this is a guy that wants to play football, go home. Play football, go home. So he's Kevin play, Durant. Play football. I just want to hoop and go home, man. Kevin Durant doesn't <laughs> just want to do that. <laughs> now you're tr- you're trying to trigger me. But hey, hey, uh, Thunder tied it up. They got a chance get out of the first round, first time in three years. And they're gonna get out of the first round for the first time. Uh, they they might. And even if the even if Russell came Isn't back, that's a, the ultimate like oh god, Houston's panicking and he's gonna torpedo them. And it's one of the. It's funny that Lou Dort, like and I don't know he's this incredible, is a, man. It's it's one of those things like. You watch him play defense, and then you go, the Thunder has had Tabo Sevalosha. They've had Andre. Andre. They drafted Josh Hustis to do that same role. Yeah. Perry Jones in a unique way. Terrence Ferguson. Terrence Ferguson. And then you've got some undrafted guy from Arizona State that comes in and is playing defense against James Harden that no one's ever done. He is just straight up bulldogging him yeah for four quarters i don't know if because i said it on twitter so if you already saw it, my my bad keegan but um in colorado um i was at a friend's house and all they had they only had like a handful of channels and the only way i could watch the game game three the one the thunder one was on the above the rim portion mm-hmm. so i'm watching the game with a bird's eye view on espn3 and that really showcased to me just how damn good lou dort is because Wherever James was trying to go, and Lou knew where he was trying to go, he would just just jump step to the mm-hmm. side. His lateral move, it's incredible. But he's like a DB I, in football. I, I wish, I so wish, I was more vocal about it during summer league last, not this previous July, but last July, because that's the first time I got to see Lou Dort in person. I'm like, dude, this dude's a bulldog. He hustles his ass off. Can't shoot a lick. So I mean, yeah. he's he's a perfect Thunder player, but. I was like, he does not. He does not look lost. He he looks like he's the same type of player as a Terrence Ferguson who was there, Deontay Burton, Hamadou Diallo. Like he fits in a Darius Baisley. He fit in with those guys, and like I said some nice things about him, and I was surprised. But I, I really wish I would have went with my gut and said, hey, if he gets a chance, because Terrence just doesn't have it, or if there are some injuries, and they call him up, this guy's going to he's going to do something about it because he just. He did not look lost. He did not look scared. And he this is his first playoff run, and it doesn't look like it. He had five fouls going into the fourth quarter against James f***ing Harden, and he didn't foul out. He, you know, and the thing is, too, is that he's confident on the offensive side, which is not something that Tabo had until yeah, the tail end. He can't shoot consistently, but he is not afraid, which that's a gigantic thing for me as a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if, you, if you are simply not scared – You've already like done so much Is for this me. This the last year of Roberson's contract. Yes, he will more than likely. Like I don't even know if he's played enough to the point where he could potentially get another contract. Yeah, but I mean, he did play, so I wouldn't be shocked if somebody gave him another like a small deal because he'll have an off season to get his legs back under him. Um, Terrence Ferguson, on the other hand, like he, the Thunder picked up his option. He's going to be trade bait. He's he's going to be absolute trade bait. He has no spot. He has no spot on this rotation anymore. Isn't I? I know we kind of diverted from the recruiting, and we can finish it up back with it. But isn't it funny? You just the more you watch the Clippers play, you're just sitting there thinking, man, they gave up. They made the right trade. 
yeah, like I get it. Like they gave up a lot, and unless they win like three titles in two years, it's never going to be enough to what they gave up for. But at the same time, like you, you had to you, get Kawhi, you make that trade. Yeah, you had you to do get not Kawhi. say no to Ka- Kawhi Leonard in that offseason. He's still very well, probably the best player on earth. Um, LeBron's playing at a high level. Luca just dropped a sixty or forty point triple double on them at the buzzer. Kawhi is still probably the best player in the league. So you, of course, do whatever you can to get Kawhi to come to your team. Kind of soft to switch on that screen. Yeah, I mean that's their fault putting Red Jackson on them. But I mean they they make one or two plays. They're up three one in this series, and they're they're probably going to beat Dallas. I mean they're about to tip off fairly soon, right now, but. They're more than likely – I mean, they're fine. You have to make that trade. It was the best for both teams. Mm-hmm. Where is uh, – before we end up with the NBA talk, is Luka top 15? Oh, yeah, I think he's top. already top – I think he's already top 10. Top 10? Yeah, I thought I he mean, was top 10 like halfway through the year. I mean, oh, my. Th- th- he is one of those guys, and obviously f- I have a basketball background, and I, I want to say that when I say this is that the you cover game OU is, basketball too, the so. game is played – at his pace. Yes. And that is something, you know, you talk about Giannis, you talk about LeBron, talk about Damian Lillard at times, obviously struggled after going nuts for seven straight I games. I mean, it yeah. had to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, the game, he, the game of basketball is just played whenever he's on the floor. It is played at his pace. And even with a Kawhi Leonard and a Paul George on the court, they the Clippers have been just it seems like they've just been discombobulated with their you know flow of the offense with being able to defend him keep him out of the paint and man would it be a lot of fun to see Luca and Lou Dort go up against each other for five six seven games but no uh you know maybe finish up podcast here but you know things are as I said like there is a the there is not a more real than it's been in the last three months that Oklahoma is going to land the number one recruiting class in the country. Like that is wild. That's incredible. And you talk about where and we it's were not like just where off, we were like three or four weeks ago. And yes, it is weighted heavily by offensive guys. But unlike the 2019 class, they've got two to three defenders that are in the top 150 in the country. And Clayton Smith, you got a rut, you got a r- edge rusher in Clayton Smith. You've got a defensive lineman in Kelvin Gilliam, and, you got and you've got a corner in Latrell McCutcheon. Who was legitimately committed to Alabama. That was a legitimate offer. And legit- legitimately picked Oklahoma over Alabama the yep. second time around. So, um, you know, you, there things for Oklahoma are trending in the right direction, and obviously they're going to need, you know, some defections from Ohio State and Alabama in order to really ensure themselves, but – They've got a chance to land the number three, number seven, number nine, number 11 recruits in the country, as well as the number whatever Tristan Lee jumped up to, 17 or 18. What was it? Did you already say it? Three top 10, uh, according to 24-7? Uh-uh. So I thought I thought I saw a chart, and they had three of the top 10 guys. Uh, I mean, I typically use rivals. There's been less deviate. Deviance that, there. Is, that is true. But – um, no, you're just talking about the, you know, the new Rivals 250 that came out today. Here we go. Caleb Williams is number three. You've got Kamar Wheaton's number seven. Bryce Foster's number nine. Emeka Ibuka's number 11. Tristan Lee is number 15. So they would have four of the top 15 recruits in the country Yeah. based off this. Um, you know, I believe there's, you know, even more guys. I'm just going down the list here. I know Clayton Smith got a huge bump. 
Savion Bird's in the top 100. Uh, I'm almost down here. Latrell McCutcheon's number 68. Savion Bird's number 84. I mean, this is it, – it, it has a chance to be an all-time class for Oklahoma. Marcus Burris is 112, by the way. God, I cannot believe they didn't take him. But uh, Kendall Daniels is 123. <laughs> Jumped 107 <laughs> spots. Oh, cool. So all these people that – Have, tell, have uh, fun losing four games e- every year. Clayton Smith up to 128th. I mean, so this is, you know, a legit chance for Oklahoma to have – uh, as good of a shot at the top class in the country than they've had. Than, uh, I know last time that happened was early mid two thousands. Mm-hmm. They brought in the number four class, I believe, in twenty nineteen, and then to back up that twenty nineteen class, you know, I, I said a lot last year, and you'll probably remember this, that last year was kind of like a Clemson year on the recruiting trail for Oklahoma. They had a bunch of really good talent come in, and it's hard to back that up, and mm-hmm. especially whenever you know I, the wide receivers have been really good at Oklahoma, but. They got a lot better with Jaden Hazelwood, a lot better with Theo Weiss, and a lot better with Trajan Bridges, especially guys that were already that highly rated coming in that were, in terms of developing their body, was not nearly as important as developing their skill. Like, CeeDee Lamb had to get big. Marquise yeah. Brown had to get bigger. He had to be able to, you know. Which he did for the which, Ravens, apparently. Oh, my. Well, yeah. if, he's, if he's running a 4-3 at 180 pounds. Stop it. He may be up there with one of the best receivers in the NFL. Yeah, it's, it's over. It's Yeah. So, and all these videos of him outrunning all the top players from the Ravens for deep balls is <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. But to, to finish up my point, it's, you know, Oklahoma's at a point offensively in their offensive line room. I mean, Tristan Lee is coming in knowing he's going to have to sit. Bryce Foster is coming in knowing he's going to have to sit. Savion Bird's coming in knowing he's going to have to sit. But they're still getting him. That is just not something that we've seen at Oklahoma it's since I've been covering them. That it's a, It reminds me a lot of that Ohio State cornerback safety room to where they were just, you know, Malik Hooker plays for one year and he's the 24th pick by the Indianapolis Colts. Um, Damon Arnett plays for two years and he's his first-round pick. You know, it's – it's a it's a something that you want to have absolutely. It's just wild to see unfold, yeah. especially if this twenty twenty two wide receiver class is shaping up the way it's going to be for Oklahoma, and they're backing that up with the twenty twenty one class with Mario Williams and Cody Jackson and potentially Jalil Farouk and maybe the best receiver in the country in Emeka Ibuka, and you're backing that up with a twenty twenty two class that's got maybe two five stars in it. I mean they're. They're sitting pretty there, and they're sitting pretty on the offensive line. And then, obviously, you know, trains rolling at quarterback with Caleb Williams. And then 2023, whoever that is, Arch Manning. Yeah. I'm kidding. I don't know no. if that's going to be him. No. Um, I, I'd probably say to, like, OU fans who are concerned that it's, like, heavily weighted by offensive players. Like, look, it wasn't going to turn overnight, but you're already seeing a steady incline increase of defensive players starting to join the fold. And with more success – on the field and more splashes recruiting wise, it's just going to keep going up. And Keegan, to your point earlier at the beginning of the show, if OU's defense is simply just as good as it was last year, they're going to win the Big 12. They're mm-hmm. going to be like if we get through the season, they're going to be win the Big 12. They're going to be like on TV every week. They're going to have a lot of hype. And that's going to just make all those players that maybe considered Oklahoma over the last year, but ultimately chose somewhere else. You're going to get maybe two or three guys that ultimately choose OU on the next go around, if this momentum is 
it, it continues. That's just the way recruiting goes. Mm. So they weren't going to get five, six top 150 players on defense this year and Alex Grinch's second year. There needs to be more of a track record. That's just that's just reason that if I'm a player out of Texas uh, on the defensive line, like like yeah, I'd love to go to OU, but I need to see more. Mm-hmm. And I think we could potentially see that. So that's that's what I would say to OU fans that are like, well, there's just nothing but receivers and line O linemen on there. And they've got guys coming in. I mean, they continue, like like I mentioned a second ago, you know, th- the three top defensive players or some of the top defensive players at defensive tackle, a position on Oklahoma's defense that is, um, you know, it needs to be really good for them to be really good. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's the most impactful position, but if you can raise the continue to raise the floor there in, in Kelvin Gilliam, you've got another elite edge rusher in Clayton Smith, and then you've got a lockdown corner in Latrell McCutcheon. I, I still don't get what they're doing at linebacker, but uh, things are heading in the right direction, and it's clear that the culture in after even just one year, two years in the system with Alex Grinch is completely different. Um, it, it's completely different than it was for the six, seven years before that. Yeah. He was at Oklahoma for seven years. He who won't be named. <laughs> so I don't get another DM. Uh, <laughs> that was funny. Uh, last question before I get you out of here, Keegan. As it stands right now, three weeks from kickoff, do we get through the whole season? Yes. What, I've get, never been more confident in that. Is it because something like Alabama has 500 positive cases on campus today? <laughs> Tuscaloosa also closes down all their bars, which I don't know why Norman hasn't done something like that recently, but oh well, this is Oklahoma. Um, is is it because of that happening and Alabama has not canceled their season? Because <laughs> I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, you – it's clear that they're going to exploit these players even more because we've seen it in North Carolina that they have created a athletic bubble. Well, was it NC State sent all the students home and the players are staying? That, that didn't. That was uh, North Carolina. Oh, was it North Carolina? Yeah. Oh, like yeah, like that. We talked about that over the last few weeks. Like, if you wanted to do this in the fall, you, this is how you do it. You forego the tuition money, tell the students to stay home, and you get one step closer to paying these players by telling them or asking them, if you want to play, come to campus, you'll be the only ones here. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, bless their hearts, that that's kind of boring because, you know, when you win a game, I'm sure you want to go out to the campus corner and go celebrate and go hang out with some of the honeys. Like, hell, I didn't even play. Oh, you would win. I'd be like, I want to go meet some girls, and then I'd go to campus corner. <laughs> so... Sorry, football players, you won't be able to enjoy the spoils of victory, I guess. But yeah, you get to go enjoy it with your teammates. It's a wild concept. Oh uh, yeah, I know. Be safe, everybody. Keegan, anything else? I'm good. I think right. we've got it all covered. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to Inside OU. We are one step closer to the season, so one step closer to maybe doing two shows a week, where we do our Monday show and then maybe preview OU's opponent. We won't have to do that for Missouri State. I'm sure we'll probably do more of a reaction pod. Of like what we saw, who played, who the hell played, mm-hmm. how they looked. Spencer Rattler was not named QB1 today. I'm sorry, Keegan, so you're going to have to keep doing that and digging. Um, you'll talk to Bill Beanbo, I think, tomorrow. Um, and we'll obviously talk about that next Monday. But, Keegan, thank you so much. Absolutely. You guys have a good week. Everybody, thank you so much. Talk to you all later.